little long period that we're going to take several weeks looking at, cultivating on the subject of spiritual gifts. And there's a lot of uh, pieces to that. So we're going to kind of uh, give some general overview tonight. And then uh, next week, we'll uh, uh, shift gears a little bit, talking about the spiritual gifts, and start a little bit, and we're going to spend a little more time on the various um, sign gifts. And so we'll start next week just kind of talking about the getting some understanding on the differences of whether the sign gifts, are they still available to us? Or do they die off with the apostles? Uh, are they always available? Were they uh, uh, giftings for periods of time? Or are they available now? All those things Christians have uh, been discussing, and we want to spend some time doing that. And then we'll go through and we'll look at some of, the, again, the more uh, things like prophecy, uh, tongues, those areas. But then at some point, we'll also look at, as we'll see in Ephesians, one of the places where the Lord gives gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What about apostles? What about prophets? What about, you know, the gift of prophecy, those things? So we'll, we're going to take time to kind of dig into that a little bit, and uh, we may reach some consensus. We may disagree, agree to disagree, but uh, we just want to kind of shine some light on Scripture so tonight, I'm going to just give kind of a, a general overview on the issue or the subject of spiritual gifts. Now, remember, two weeks ago, we uh, spent our first session talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And remember how the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, I'm not sure if I have that, no, in Galatians 5, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 uh, speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I talked about how the fruit of the Spirit really is uh, the uh, evidence, if you will, of a changed, transformed life. Because the fruit of the Spirit, remember right before, we won't take time to look at it, but right before that, uh, Paul the Apostle is talking about the works of the flesh, living by the law, trying to eke out. He says the the, the, the evidences of the law uh, are obvious, and, and he goes through the works of the flesh. But in verse 22 of Galatians 5, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit. Now, fruit is something that is cultivated. It's something uh, that is grown. And he said, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Meaning... These are not things that, in order to be genuinely manifested, you can't manufacture these things. You know, you might be able to fake love for a little bit, but trust me, sooner or later, something's going to test the genuineness of that, the genuineness of joy or peace. But these are evidences, if you will, of the, re the, of the transformed life, the evidences of the life that has been uh, changed by Christ, that is being changed by Christ, and this speaks more of what I would call the character fruits. These are character fruits, meaning these things are not optional. You know, whether you exercise your gift of teaching or serving or, or whatever it is, that in one sense is optional. Now, when I say optional, I mean you do, there is an accountability of God's uh, giving you that. But what I'm saying is 
is that, as we'll look at in just a second, you can operate in those gifts and still not have a, or at least in the surface sense, you can operate in those gifts and still be lacking the character, the fruit of the Spirit. That's the reason a lot of times, maybe if you've been in the church, you've seen people exercising great gifts, quote-unquote, right? But then you find out the character, the character didn't match what was being done on the outward. Paul puts emphasis that the evidence of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the changed life, the evidence of the renewed life is the fruit of the Spirit. And so again, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, so we won't go through that uh, tonight. But let's talk about the different places, the primary passages in the New Testament that deal with the subject of spiritual Gifts, spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit, chapter 12 is one of those sections we'll look at in just a minute, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So right there, we need to make sure we understand that the gifts of the Spirit, and we'll look at the varieties of gifts, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, is not given primarily for us, is it? It's given for the benefit of the body, of the church. Its benefit is to edify, build up, okay? So the Holy Spirit has given gifts to individuals, believers, not just to have our little, our little fun package, but they're given in order to be used to benefit, help, edify, build up, whatever word you want to use there, of all, okay? And so that's uh, an important thing because a lot of times, um, let's say in, in worship or something, I've had people who've had maybe um, certain expressions of worship that was meaningful to them and they wanted in different places I've been, you know, they wanted to do that in the church. And I tried to explain, I think there's a principle here that that may be something that, let me give an extreme example, and this didn't happen, but I'm just making an extreme example. Let's say somebody uh, worships the Lord with their tambourine. Everybody know what a tambourine is? You don't see tambourines much. I have orders for all of our security to confiscate them if anybody comes in with a tambourine, because I've only met one person in my entire life that knows how to play a tambourine. They bring them and make a lot of noise, but uh, it's a different story. But that's an extreme. I'm making this up. But let's say, for example, that person just worships the Lord. You know, they just love playing that tambourine. And maybe they can actually use it in, you know, in, with other mute, whatever. And that's something that brings them a lot of joy. And so they bring it to church. But somehow that tambourine doesn't quite go with the worship at the church. And whether you are Mr. or Mrs. Super Spiritual, I don't care who you are, all you hear, you're singing Just As I Am or whatever, 10,000 Reasons or whatever it is that we're singing, and all you hear is, you know, all you hear is that tambourine. And you can't focus on anything except that tambourine. And then you start getting in the flesh. I wish I could take that tambourine and, I mean, you really, and it becomes a distraction. 
Now, in different times, in different scenarios, and they didn't involve a tambourine, I've given what I think is a principle, is that just because it's something you worship with individually, I'm not making a distinction whether it's legitimate or not, but it doesn't edify the body. It's not helpful to everyone. And so whatever it is, whether it's a spiritual gift, whether it's an instrument, whatever, there's a principle that we need to consider what benefits and builds up the body. Okay, does that make sense? So it's not arguing uh, that your tambourine is sacred and you just you come into the Shekinah glory right there in your living room when you worship. And it, it's nobody's arguing that. It's just saying bringing it in where everybody, not it, it doesn't necessarily going to benefit everybody. Okay. And so, in regards more strictly in the context of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit, Paul says it's for the benefit of everybody. It is to benefit the local church, the local body, the local fellowship, one another. Now, you know, few topics have raised more controversy uh, in the church than the subject of spiritual Gifts And really not so much spiritual gifts like helps. I don't know any church that ever split over the gift of helps. You know, um, It's usually when we get into these other gifts, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think, again, it's part of uh, the enemy's strategy to hinder the local church by bringing confusion. We know there's confusion in immaturity because that's what Paul had to address in 1 Corinthians. Uh, was the immature application or the lack of balance application in the way that spiritual gifts were utilized. And so we want to find out and kind of look at things and uh, we're going to give a, a flyover tonight. Here, A definition in your outline is this, and again, this is not scripture, it's just one of many, but uh, spirit, a spiritual gift, and I'm just going to apply this to the four passages we'll look at, very general. A spiritual gift is a divinely, that means from the Lord, bestowed ability, a God-given ability given to every true believer in Jesus Christ in order to serve the church. And that kind of matches what Paul said about the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, a spiritual gift is more than a human talent. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, you know, what are, what, are, what are your talents? And that's kind of uh, close to your spiritual gifts. Well, not necessarily, I mean, it, it might be, but that's not really an accurate statement to look at a spiritual gift as, you know, you have a human talent to, to do, you know, to do whatever. Uh, a human talent are things that an unbeliever can do has talents. They have, you know, they have abilities to do. This is something that is, different than just a talent um, that you've cultivated. It's more, it's something that is something that is given to you uniquely by God that really in, in its very fundamental essence is to give glory to God because in many cases, people who begin to walk in a spiritual gift that they believe the Lord has led them, oftentimes it's counter to what they might would naturally would have gravitated towards. In other words, sometimes people will say, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, I could never imagine doing this. 
But as I begin to step out and do such and such, I realize that God was, and these are, you know, empowering me or blessing me in doing this. Because I don't have any natural ability in doing this or, or whatever the situation is. But I sense the Holy Spirit leading me uh, in this. And so we want to distinguish. Now, there might be a correlation. I mean, let's say somebody has a natural talent of public speaking. They just, you know, now that may or may not correlate in their being a preacher or a teacher or something like that. But remember, Paul said, when he said, I, when he told the church of Corinth, he said, we didn't, I didn't come to you with lofty words or eloquence of speech. He distinguished between skilled oratory and preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. He distinguished those two things. But again, they can cross over. Look in your Bibles. I don't think I have it. Um, I don't think I have it on the screen. But look in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. I hope that's the right verse. I wrote it down quickly, but I won't know till I turn to it. Hebrews 2, verse 4. Uh, da -da 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 -da. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, and there is, uh, I believe, a corollary um, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. But it says, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Uh, look over to... Um, uh, and it might be, I'm not sure if I, I don't think I printed all the scriptures out there, but uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 4, I'm guessing at that, so we'll see if we're there, we're right. But I want you to see that these are things given to us by God. Yeah, uh, and we may come back to this when we look at 1 Corinthians 12. But 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, now there are variety of, varieties of gifts, but the same uh, spirit, verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions, the ESV says, or distributes to each one individually as he, the spirit, will. So that should remind us that the Holy Spirit is the one, God, the spirit, is the one that distributes these gifts according to his sovereign will. And again, Paul uh, that applies that when he begins talking about us, you know, he gives the illustration of, you know, one part of the body being jealous of the other part of the body, meaning that it's the Holy Spirit who has given these spiritual gifts to individuals. And you may say, boy, I wish I, I really want that. And, you know, that's not fair. Well, God is the one that has distributed these that is going to bless and be part of the blessing for his family, um, and so look at these uh, this classifications on these spiritual gifts. And again, everybody words these a little differently. Um, I actually had that on the screen, but they're worded a little differently by some. But this is just uh, helpful. This is, the Bible doesn't classify them necessarily in this way, but this is just a helpful way that we have kind of distinguished some of them. And uh, that is one, there are some gifts that, are more of the serving gifts. Uh, 
gifts of service, showing mercy, helps, those things, gifts of service, okay? And then you have speaking gifts that uh, may or are involved, and we're going to dig into this, but certainly teaching, I don't think anybody's advocating that teaching has been done away with, but uh, whether we understand prophecy and the role of, I mean, prophecy at its very basic definition is just speaking forth the word. I prophesy every Sunday. Hello? I speak the word every Sunday. Now, I don't want to be cute and say that, that certainly Paul means more than just that, but it really is just speaking forth the word, okay? So again, we're, we'll dig down into that a little uh, as we move on. And then there's the sign gifts. That's the more fun stuff that, to, to look at and talk about, and that has to do with gifts of healing. Do individuals, do individuals uh, have a, uh, is, I mean, it speaks about gifts of healing, um, miracles, uh, tongues, how does that fit in? Um, by the Spirit of God, and oftentimes those are referred to as sign gifts, okay? Uh, and again, we're going to spend time on those in the weeks ahead, not necessarily tonight. So look, let's look just in an overview. Let's look at the four main passages in the New Testament that address spiritual gifts. By the way, you know, there's nothing in Scripture that tells you to take a test to discover your spiritual gift. That's a novelty that we've come up with that may or may not be useful. Uh, and again, I'm not arguing one way or the other, but I think if you lean into the Spirit, He's going to direct you. And sometimes those tests cannot are unhelpful because I've seen people who take this test, add up the score, oh, what do you know, da, 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 I got this. And then you ask them to do such and such, oh, that's, I took my test, that's not my gift. <laughs> well, you remember Paul, remember he specifically told Paul, uh, Timothy, his son in the faith, he said, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And the implication, if you tie in other scriptures about Timothy, don't be, don't be shy, you know, don't be... Uh, don't be, what do I want to say, uh, hesitant, uh, don't be intimidated by other people, um, which might, you know, again, you're reading a little bit into the white space, but meaning like, Timothy, look, I know this is not your natural inclination, but sometimes you have to do the work, regardless of whether it's your gift or not, it's just kind of being obedient to the Great Commission. Um, and so, again, I'm not saying yay or nay, but the Bible doesn't give you any instruction about taking tests and those type of things. Um, but if you do that and you have it, God bless you. I've done it too. So um, we're all been we're all been in it together. First Corinthians twelve is one of the main passages that we'll look at. First Corinthians chapter twelve, um, verses one through seven uh, reads: Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, he wants them to be knowledgeable, he doesn't say you shouldn't be doing this. He says, no, concerning spiritual gifts, I want to teach you something. I want to instruct you as an apostle. I want to give you some direction. Verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles. Gentiles were, they're non-Jews, Gentiles. Uh, you know that you were Gentiles at one time carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. 
Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, meaning that a true believer would never say, uh, would never uh, articulate something that would be contrary to cursing Jesus. That, that a person can only be a true believer in expressing faith in Jesus by the Spirit of God. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord. No one can make an authentic confession of Jesus except by the Holy Spirit. Now verse 4. There are diversities of ministries but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities but it is the same God who works all in all but the manifestation of the Spirit as we read earlier is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, it's interesting that in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 12 through 14, and we're not going to look at everything there, we don't have time, but more is written there in that single area on spiritual gifts than anywhere else in Scripture. And the reason is, is because the church at Corinth had more problems than anybody else regarding spiritual gifts. And, it, and what always strikes me as Paul gets into this, he never tells them to stop. He just says, look, you're doing some things that are out of balance. That's my words. You're doing some things that are not helpful or healthy. He never says, what are you doing? Don't you know that only an apostle should be doing that kind of thing? Or don't you know that uh, you, you haven't had a, a course on those spiritual gifts and how can you be exercising spiritual gifts? You haven't even had a test on it. I mean, he doesn't say anything like that. I'm not being funny there. But, but notice that he says in 1 Corinthians, uh, that he says that he doesn't say, uh, you know, sometimes as we look back, uh, oftentimes people will be critical of spiritual gifts and say, well, look at the church at Corinth. But instead of looking at it in a critical way, let's look at it in a way that say, well, what can we learn so that we can learn and we can fix whatever mess we've made out of spiritual gifts by looking at the corrective apostolic instruction that the Apostle Paul gives. Um, it wasn't because the church at Corinth was lacking gifts. Uh, according to verse 7, um, they seem to possess most, if not all, of the gifts. I mean, someone said that the church at Corinth was... Uh, charismatic on steroids. I mean, they were speaking in tongues, and, ex and I don't say that in a smart, snarky way. I'm just saying exercising gifts was not their issue. They had other issues, but the exercise of gifts was not their issue. It's interesting, back in 1 Corinthians 3, in verses 1 through 3, Paul says, he said, and I, and I think this is an important point that goes a little bit to our discussion on the fruit of the Spirit, where Paul says, and I, brethren, again, he's talking to the church earlier than uh, when he began to talk about spiritual gifts. He said, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal. That gives you a little clue. Even though they were exercising all these gifts, Paul says they're really, their, their behavior, their maturity is what? 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 I can't hear. Babies. Carnal. Carnal means fleshly, worldly. 
They're, they have a spirituality that seems to be super spiritual, but I would say the fruit of the Spirit, the character, is lacking, all right? He says, I want to speak to you as spiritual people. Spiritual people, meaning people have a mind of a mature, of the things of, of God, the things of the Spirit, of uh, mature people. He said, verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. You feed babies milk or, you know, Gerber. I mean, where that doesn't take a lot to digest. Uh, he said, I had, to, I, had to get you, I had to get you down to the very basics of the basics, the milk of the word, because that's where they're at. Now, again, keep in mind, later on, he's going to address the, their operation of all these spiritual gifts. You should see a little bit. Maybe we're, we're going with this. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal, worldly, fleshly. In other words, you have a form of spirituality. I don't necessarily even think he's saying they're not saved. Some may differ. But I don't think he's saying they're not believers. He's just saying they're very immature believers. Do you know what I mean by an immature believer? Somebody who has professed Christ for years, maybe been faithful to the church, done a lot of activities or whatever, but spiritually speaking, as far as the Word of God or even in their character, uh, when an issue is addressed or maybe in their families or in the way that they handle a church dispute, you're kind of like, whoa, you're just, the way that they act is, is disconnected to what you would expect by a mature person who's been serving the Lord for a long time. That happens. And again, I'm not willing to say that that person is not a believer because I've known a lot of people that I think are believers that are just immature, carnal people that are not growing. And I know there's an argument you can make about that, and that may be, that may be true, but I don't know if that's exactly what Paul's saying. He just says you're, you're still acting like a bunch of babies, spiritually. Verse 3, for you are still carnal. Now we see the manifestation of this. Where, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So we get a little hint of what's going on in there in the church. Now, I say that because I've known in churches, and you have too, I'm sure, that perhaps in one end were very, on the surface, seemed to be very active for the cause of Christ. But when you got into the, the weeds and the inner workings of that church, you realize there's a lot of immature thinking that's going on. There's a lot of immature people. And what's unfortunate in some cases is there's a lot of immature people in leadership. And it's just perpetuating this dysfunctionality. But on the surface, there seem to be a great emphasis upon what we're doing for the cause of Christ, maybe in our worship, maybe in our exercise of certain uh, spiritual gifts, whatever. Paul's saying, look, here at Corinth, so you, you want to be like the early church? You want to be like the New Testament church? Well, there you go. Guess what? That should give us some, in a, in a weird way, give us a little hope. That just, we think, oh, if we could just be back there in the New Testament. Oh, if we could just be back there when Paul was there. You know what? You'd act the same way. They were the same way that we act, right? 
dealing with the same stuff. So what it should, again, just serve as we move over to the second one, is that you can have all the spiritual gifts, if possible, uh, if it's possible to have, and be as worldly and carnal and immature as you ever want to be. I'm not saying it's right, but there is not a connection that just because a person is very gifted, that doesn't always mean they are spiritually a mature believer. And sometimes when we hear about maybe even people who are in ministry, leading churches, and we hear certain things that are going on, and we're like, Paul says at the end there, he says, you're behaving like mere men. Meaning, you're behaving just like everybody else. And you find out there's strife, there's envy, there's greed, there's deceit, all those things going on. And even though they might have, you know, a, a church where they address thousands on a Sunday or whatever, and you're like, good grief, what, what is happening here? Well, we shouldn't be shocked. Just because somebody's greatly gifted, remember, we, that's why we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the evidences, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, these things, you can't fake it. And so, little insight there, and we'll return back to some of that later. Let's look at the second main section uh, that the New Testament talks about in regards to spiritual gifts. Some similarities, all a little different. And that's Ephesians 4. This is uh, speaking about the Holy Spirit's gifting, if you will, of leadership uh, in leading the church. And again, this is an area where there's some differences and maybe a little controversy that we'll want to uh, dig out in, in the weeks ahead. Ephesians 4, verse 7 through 8. <coughs> but to each one of us grace was given according to... To the measure of Christ's gift. That's consistent with what he's said about the way the Spirit gives out spiritual gifts. Therefore, verse 80 says, When he, Jesus, ascended on high, when he ascended back to the Father, Acts chapter 1, he led captivity captive and have gifts to men. And so, verse 11, And he himself, let me get to the next, sorry. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Some people quibble over whether pastor-teacher is one or separate there. All right, But for our sake, we'll keep it as pastors and teachers. Uh, and so it says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying, there it is again, of the body of of Christ. And so the Lord here we see has given to the church gifts of leaders. Now here's we'll we'll talk about this not now, but as we move forward, because we want to talk about okay, if the Holy Spirit has given those gifts, do we have the gift of apostle today? Uh, do we have the gift of prophets today in the body of Christ? Is there, a, uh, is there a difference between the apostles, the 12 apostles that Jesus anointed, that were the disciples that Jesus anointed? Um, in fact, the stones in the new city in 
New, New Jerusalem, there's 12 stones in the walls there of the city for the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 stones for the 12 apostles. That might would suggest a, a permanency in locking in those apostles. Or is the apostolic gift, while there's a distinction between those unique individuals that had a gift of apostleship in um, primarily writing the word of God, but is the gift of an apostle, an apostle is one who sets things in order, establishes those things. So a person, I'm just asking, can a person exercise the gift of an apostle, they not walk around with a big A on their shirt, but, they're, but by their giftings, they're doing apostle stuff. They're setting churches in order. They're providing leadership, so they're functioning in that way. A little more dicey when we talk about what is the role, if there is a role, of a prophet. What does that look like? Uh, or was Paul saying that God has, in the big picture of establishing the church, uh, he'll, talk, he'll mention this another, in another place, that he's laid the foundation with the apostles. And so these were offices that function in a foundational level, apostles and prophets, but that we do have a continuation, certainly a gifting of evangelists, people that primarily preach the gospel and sharing to the lost. We certainly have a continuation of pastors and teachers, um, and that is still an ongoing continuation. There's differences in that, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of talk about it and address some of that. And, and, uh, uh, but the Lord has gifted the church with the fivefold ministry. How many of you ever heard of that term, fivefold ministry? All right, fivefold ministry. All right, let's look at the second area, and that's in Romans chapter 12. And what I want you to notice before he gets into talking about the gifts, notice in the context of where he begins, he begins a discussion and laying a foundation on worship. Paul says, I beseech thee, beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know, the only problems about presenting your bodies as living sacrifice is they wiggle off the altar, but okay. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Does anybody have the word reasonable or the word worship there? Okay. Um, and verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. J.B. Phillips in his uh, paraphrase says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Um, do not let the world, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. little different terminology, but very consistent from Paul in what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 about to each one is given this measure of grace or faith. Verse 4, 
For as we have many members. Now notice the many, but the unity. Many members in one body. But all the members do not have the same function. Let me just stop there. One of the things that uh, you... Uh, that I've observed, and I suppose I have a tendency to do it, and that's why, if I could tip my hat a little bit, there's maybe, and again, we'll get into the weeds a little bit, but there is something more there that I've come to reevaluate, going back to that passage in Ephesians 4 of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that, and again, some people, I've known sub-churches that um, they literally need to have people who were designated an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I'm not sure that's exactly what's being said there. But I think in one sense there's a principle there that I appreciate more today than I used to, meaning that if those giftings, because it isn't so much offices, you know what I mean by office, uh, meaning a person we ordain this person to be this or that, the other. Again, they're functioning in their gift. When we might would uh, set aside to somebody you know, uh, sometime this year, Lord willing, we're going to talk about possibly adding an elder to the church. Uh, we're not making them an elder or not making somebody uh, a pastor or something like that. All we are doing, or I say we, the church, we're just affirming what God has made obvious to the body. You don't make anybody anything. And I tell you, anybody that you hand out you know, uh, a badge to, you know, okay, you just try getting that badge back when you want to, when they do something stupid, you know, try getting it back, you're going to have a fight on your hands, right? Um, you don't make anybody, I've never made a leader in my life, uh, and the ones that I did bit me, because they were my leaders, they weren't God's leaders, see, there's a difference. And so, um, and so the affirmation of those gifts that he uh, goes back to, um, where was the scripture I just read? Um, verse 4, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Um, all right, let me just keep reading. Verse 5, so we... Being many, there again is the many, are one body. Notice the unity statements. I would circle those in my Bible. Mark your Bible. Use your Bible. Many members, they are many, but we're one body in Christ. Individually members of one another. So again, the picture is we're individual. God has gifted us all differently, but we function as one body, just as he would give later the example of the hand and the foot and the physical body. Verse 6. Having then gifts, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. All right, I know what I was going to say. I got distracted. About fivefold ministry is that sometimes churches that do not have a balance of spiritual leadership, oftentimes unintentionally can become unbalanced because they take on the gifting of a singular leader 
And that's kind of, they just begin to clone and produce more of that type of person. For example, let's say the pastor is a teacher. And that's the main thing they do, right? They're not maybe sharing the gospel. They're not worship is just, let's get through it. Let's get to the teaching. I have visited some churches just for a very little time till I left, turned around and walked out. Then when I walked in there, I kid you not, it was much smaller. Now I know why they're smaller. But it was a small little church. And people came in and literally sat at tables and desks on Sunday morning because the emphasis and the teaching was the main emphasis. It was like, again, they were going to get an hour and a half of Bible teaching. That was the very sole focus of what they did. Now, is there anything wrong with Bible teaching? No. But what it ends up happening is, is things get lopsided. You ever gone to a church that had, we'll just say, they had great worship. Music, great. I mean, they excelled in that. And then when whoever was going to get up and share the word, you're just like, oh, man, that's, that's it. It was just a, there was a shallowness there. You know, it was just kind of a, you know, after two, three weeks of motivational, you know, you can do it. Every day's a Friday, whatever it is you're doing, you know. I mean, it like, um, and you know what happens to, and then let's say, for example, uh, you may have been raised in a church and, uh, where every Sunday, every Sunday, it was an evangelistic service to the same 48 people every Sunday. Because they weren't evangelists. They were leaving that to the preacher to do on Sunday morning. But every Sunday morning was an emphasis on, a, on an evangelistic service. We need more evangelistic services. Nobody's arguing that. But... It took on, because the pastor, maybe at his very core heart, was an evangelist. That's what he loved to do, right? And so it took on the characteristic disproportionately because it didn't have a balanced ministry. Now, I don't care whether you call it five-fold team minister or whatever, but I think that's the genius in the New Testament in having a diversity of leaders called elders because you don't have just one person by dominating by their spiritual gift. Now, obviously, a pastor has the bigger influencer because he preaches and teaches. But it shouldn't necessarily always be that way because the, somebody with the leadership, let's just say, let's go back to Ephesians 4 with those, you know, those uh, giftings that Paul mentions there. Is that a church, let's say, and again, there may be some misunderstanding of this, but... I'm just going to say it for argument's sake. Let's say a church that has what they would call a very strong prophetic ministry. And it's just, boy, just, you, ever, you ever been around somebody that had a prophetic ministry? And I'm not necessarily, you know, whether you define prophecy as foretelling or speaking forth the word. Um, I know a lot of preachers that would never, ever say they are prophets. For example, I would, how many of you know who James Robeson is? He just came to my mind. James Robinson, James Robinson. Anybody remember James Robinson? Um, Charles Colson. Uh, in other words, a prophet, and it's very, without m the mystical speaking forth, maybe a word in an in a unlearned situation that's given by the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about that. But there's prophetic preachers that when they preach, they're preaching the word like a Jeremiah on fire to the times 
of the society. They are, they are preaching a word that is, that is, uh, that's, may sound harsh and hard, but that's kind of what a prophet does. You know, I, there's not too many prophets. Listen, remember Nathan, that when he confronted King David about his adultery? Um, you know, listen, there, you read Jeremiah, you could be threatened upon death or thrown in the stocks uh, if you challenged and prophesied something the king didn't like. And I don't know this, but I would assume that I'm sure Nathan thought, well, I'm going to say it, and then probably I'll have my head off because I'm going to confront the king not only about his adultery, not only about his illegitimate child, but the fact that I know that he killed the woman's wife and set that whole ordeal up. So he's got murder, adultery, and illegitimate child, and I'm going to confront him. But see, that's what a prophet does. Now imagine going to a church every Sunday or the, prof, the person, the preacher, whatever, again, we'll define or talk about those things. It was just that hard word every Sunday. And you come out and you look like me with these scratches. You know, you got bruises I can't even show you. I mean, you're just like, oh. You know, it's like medicine. We think the harder, the harder the preaching is, it must be good. The worse the medicine tastes, it must be good. You know, some people like going to churches where they just get beat up every Sunday. Am I just dreaming? I mean, does anybody know? What? I mean, they just, they just equate that. My point is, I think there's the genius of God in this diversity of leaders so that the body of Christ and its, and its goal, it doesn't seem like it always achieves this, but has a balance of ministry that we're not too much this way. You know what my answer is everything? Well, they, they, need to, they need to study and read this book. Because I'm a teacher. That's primarily, no, nah, I know it's more than that. I'm just saying my impulse is my gift. And you do the same thing if you understand what your, your gift is. Some people might have the gift of worship and intercession. They just, they just need to get before the Lord and get quiet and really, you know, they just they need to get on their knees and really spend time. In the, you know, because that's kind of, that's their gift. That's their passion. And you know what? We need it all. Right? We need it all. Otherwise, we become this lopsided freak where we've got a really oversized head because we're a teaching church. And we've got little tiny feet because we don't take the gospel anywhere. And we're just this weird-looking church. And guess what? We just attract other weird people. Because we're kind of a one-note Ned. That's all we do. And I think there's something about being diverse. And going back to the spiritual gifts, don't miss the fact that Paul continually says, many members, not clones, diversities, one body. It's hard to be diverse and be one body. If you grew up in a particular church where y'all maybe carried all the same Bible, the same translation, if they ask you what your opinion was, you'd say it's whatever the pastor believes because nobody dared speak outside the party line. Listen, uh, you know, sometimes life is easier that way because you don't have to think. You don't have to be a Berean. You don't have to dig into the Word and say, why do I believe that? Why do I just always accept 
that that's the way it is. Because I heard that it was taught, well, maybe I need to, maybe I need to grow into the Word myself. Maybe I need to cultivate the Holy Spirit for myself. Maybe I need to quit t- taking and drinking out of the bottle. And I'm talking about a booze bottle. I'm talking about a you know, baby bottle. Maybe I need to quit drinking the milk and start cultivating a desire to read deeper things. You know, I appreciate, I'm not going to call the person out, but I appreciate those daily breads. Those are great tools, and I, <clears throat> I think we got rid of them. I shouldn't say got rid of them all because I was worried that a lot of people weren't taking them. I'm pointing, all right, I gave it away. Connie does it. I just gave it away. So you lose your reward, see? There it is. I just blew your reward. Lord just snatched it out. You, you get No, no, she does that. It's a great gift, and I know y'all benefit by that. But the daily bread's not the deepest thing in the world. I need more than that. But sometimes, listen, sometimes you might be in a hurry for lunch, and you're grateful for that piece of toast, and sometimes that daily bread is just the word you need because you don't have an hour, 20 minute, whatever, and you're grateful for that. My point is, is that we all should be growing and moving forward to desire the more deeper spiritual things. All right, let's get back to this. Verse 6. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us, let's all say it together, let us use them. Now here we go. Paul, we'll, we'll come back. If prophecy, what does he say? Let us prophesy. Now, again, I recognize there's some different even in the way we understand that. Is that speaking forth a word given by the Spirit? Is that speaking just Scripture? But he says, if prophet, and it's very basic, it's just it's speaking forth the word. We'll come back to it. Let us do it in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering, in our serving. Does anybody have a different word for verse 7? I have the New King James here. Does anybody have a different word in verse 7? Service. Yeah, that's what I thought. Service. Serving. Notice how he sandwiched serving in between prophecy and teaching. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. You ever know somebody... I call it the Barnabas spirit. You remember Barnabas in the New Testament? He was an encourager. He just had the gift of encouragement, of exhorting, of building up. You ever know people like that? Listen, a person like that always has friends. Right? We like being around those people. Because they're they're exhorting and that's a spiritual gift. He who gives with liberality. There are people that God has blessed in the body of Christ that, that for them, and God has blessed them in their business, finance, whatever, they have, they've been given certain gifts and they have a gift of generosity and it's no big deal for them to write a $20,000 check to Cups Mission or Grace Church. We've had two gifts this year, just this year, of individuals who tithe the business in Illinois and uh, tithed to here uh, $30,000. Just this year. Biggest gift in these nine years was somebody gave us $100,000. Because there are people that have 
Now, does that say that we all should not be, uh, you know, the Philippians collected money out of their poverty, right? And sent it to the church at Jerusalem, wasn't the Philippian church? So it's not saying, oh, sorry, <laughs> giving money, oh, no, that's not my spiritual gift. No, we're all to be stewards and to give proportionally. I think that's the pattern of New Testament giving, is giving in proportion, and uh, we're not under the law. Uh, he who leads, do it with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. All right. So notice the pattern here. We'll go to the last one real quick. Notice the pattern where it began. That it began in worship. It began in worship. Offer, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Honor God in worship, exercising your gifts, serving others. You see, because when you get that pattern right, then you're operating it as a, as a, as a gift given by God. You're seeing the need, you're seeing the people, you're seeing... And remember what he said, he said, be sober in, your, in the way that you look at yourself. Verse 3, don't think you're a big shot because you teach or because you do X, Y, Z. Be sober because, listen, everything you've been given is a gift of God to bless God's people, all right? All right, go to the last one here, 1 Peter 4. This talks again about being a steward, the responsibility of the gifts that God has given us. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. As each one has received a gift, there it is again, each one has received a gift. Uh, I know John Wimber believe that everybody could potentially use any gift, but I think everybody has at least one gift that God has primarily given to them. It says that each one has, a, has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards. That speaks about a responsibility, meaning that a steward has a responsibility as a pastor, as an elder, elders, we're just stewards. We're just stewards. Maybe, I don't know if manager is quite the, a good word, but we have a responsibility to someone else in how we handle the responsibilities of the office. So as gifts that are given to us, we are to use them, not just because the pastor's pressuring, we need more of this, we need more people. Do, no, no. We're doing it because our ultimate responsibility is to the Lord as good stewards, verse 10, of the manifold grace of God. And then he gives an example, verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, let him take it soberly. Remember James says, be careful, many of you desire to be teachers. What, why is that warning there? What does he go on to say? Be careful, those of you who have the gift of teaching, because you're speaking, in essence, on the Lord's behalf, the Word of God, and you're going to be, you have a greater responsibility in your handling of that, right? And so he says, if anyone speaks, it's not just to be a flippant thing, but they are speaking the oracles of God. If anyone ministers or 
I don't know if that same, uh, Sally, is that the word service there? If anyone ministers, verse 11, serves, okay. Let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Look, you can't do it unless <laughs> you're not Superman or Superwoman. Do it as God supplies the ability. And here's the bottom line of everything that should wrap itself around the exercise of gifts, whatever it is. Let all things, and that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the power, or the glory and the dominion, I'm thinking about the Lord's Prayer, and the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, the Bible talks about rewards. We're not going to be at the Bema seat. We're not going to be under the judgment to sin because Christ has bore our sin. We've already received judgment in and through Christ. But there's going to be a judgment, if you will, that has to do with rewards of how we exercise uh, God's gifts and things upon the earth. I don't know all, understand all that, but I do think there's a sense of accountability. Uh, remember the parable of the, um, of the, uh, the master who gave different talents to the servants? And the one that got rebuked the harshest was the one you th might, we would think, was using the most common sense and prudence by saying, look, I was watching CNBC, Master, and that Jim, whatever his name is, the crazy guy on there, uh, man, and I just buried that thing because I didn't want to risk it. And he's the one that was called wicked, right? Now, the other thing that I think is a correlation in that parable about the division of talents that... I'm sure you've observed and I've observed, is that just as Paul talked about, talks about the diversity of gifts, there are some people that God has gifted in the body of Christ that are three-talent people. I don't mean they're dumb or they're... But, but that's the measure of faith, of ministry they've been given. Now, they're going to be held to a different standard than the person who might be given... who is given ten talents. Because to whom much is given, much is expected or required, right? And you know the problem sometimes we have in leadership is we take a person that God has wired or gifted as a three-talent person and we, we get frustrated because they're, they're not operating like a ten-talent person. Does that make sense? That's, God hadn't wired them that way. God has wired us, or gifted us rather, all differently. We need to find out where we're gifted, what we're gifted in, and be faithful in exercising that gift. Not primarily just so we can enjoy ourselves, but so that we can serve the body of Christ, so that we can edify the body of Christ. I'm thankful this church has a lot of people that exercise and are good stewards of their gifts because otherwise very little would happen if, if they did not. So... But uh, next week, we're going to, because I'm not really sure where to put it in, so I'm just going to do it next week. I want to spend a little time talking about the different view between what's called, or I, most people call, uh, and I'll define these terms, cessationism versus continuationist. You're like, what in the world is that? Cessationist is the view that the sign gifts ended when John died on the island of Patmos as the last apostle, 
that all that the gifts that were primarily gifts to authenticate the apostolic message were no longer necessary, that eventually once the scriptures were canonized and developed and brought forth, we do not need apostolic sign gifts. We have the Bible now, and that has taken the place of the sign gifts. That's one very prominent view. And then the other view is the opposite of that. Now, it's not negating that those 12 apostles did not have a unique calling by God. And it's not saying that anybody's running around as an apostle of that level and that whatever they, you know, they write a letter or what, that, it's, that it has the spirit and it's scripture or anything like that. That, that was unique, but yet these gifts are still ongoing because guess what? Jesus is still maybe building his church. Or they, if they were necessary in the first century, are they necessary in the 21st century? Do we still need that dependency? What do they look like? Because I can think of more negative examples with people walking around flashing a badge as an apostle and a prophet and claiming to be something more than God intended and see the potential problems. And you know what my tendency has been and still leans in? It's just, we ain't going to do none of that. We're going to open our Bible and keep it safe, right? But can we at least make an attempt to, make, to see what is, is there a balance? Is there, is there something we can understand here? Because I'll, I'll tip my hat, there's not one scripture, not one scripture, but we'll look at how people come to this conclusion. And I've tried to lean into that conclusion, but through the years I have kind of changed a little bit that there's not one scripture that says that when the apostles died, all these gifts died. There's just nothing there. We do it, or individuals do it, or I try to teach it and believe it because my heroes of the faith and people I admired, that's what they believe. Okay, then that's what I believe. And uh, there's just you have to start with the premise and then build scripture to fit your premise. You know what I mean by that? You start with... The concept that this is what I believe, and therefore I got to make all the scripture kind of fit into that. And um, I just say, let's talk about it. Let's see where it leans, and there's strengths and weaknesses, and there's some cautions, and we'll try to come to some conclusion or get more confused. How about that? And then we'll talk about the rapture. No. Father, we thank you for your clearness. Help us to be people that are hungry for the meat. Help us to cultivate the spirit. God, help us to be faithful in our stewardship of the gift or gifts that you've given us to serve the body. And if any of us here tonight, God, are under conviction that we're really not exercising the gifting that God has given us, uh, Lord, let us bring that matter before you in prayer. Do like Romans 12, let us offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and operate our reasonable service from the flow of worship before you. Help us to be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.